Well, this morning we are kicking into a new series called There Is Hope. And, uh, you know, over the last year, you know, it was just right out a year ago that the whole world kind of came to a screeching halt and everything became weird and not normal. And, you know, and so many times is that we can be influenced by our experience. And, and sometimes I believe, and many times I believe that our hope actually isn't just primarily influenced by external forces. Hope many times is an internal thing. It's a part of our heart because we get maybe tired or frustrated fighting the same old battles. You ever been there? Like, man, when am I going to get over this? Whatever that may be. And you get discouraged in the fight. You get discouraged in the waiting. And yet the Bible is very clear that when we keep our focus where it needs to be, and I'm going to share some things with you about why this is so important, is that we can actually maintain our hope and our focus. And so, and this really affects how we live our day-to-day lives. And so, you know, as we're, um, you know, and I know that many times even that we can hear this word hope thrown around in our culture. And yet many times it's just an empty promise, right? It's like, you know, uh, that we sing songs about different things and, you know, I mean, you can think of different titles and different songs that will promise us, you know, world peace and everybody's going to get along. And, you know, and I mean, human history's not short and there's always been conflict. Why? Because people don't always get along. And so, but what happens many times is that we will see hope or hear somebody talk about hope or pitch an idea of what hope looks like. But in our heart, even as they're saying it, we know that it's not real truth. Like that's not really possible, you know, because of we live in a broken, fallen world. Like humanity is broken. And so even in light of that and thinking about, well, you know, that hope is really going to change our life and change our heart is that hope has to be put in the proper place, the right place. But it does greatly affect how we view everything. And so I want to give you a couple lenses that you can look at life or, or ways to approach life. You know, and so one of the ways that we can approach life is just, hey, I'm just going to take things as they come. Like, que sera, sera, like whatever happens, whatever will be, will be. And that's just the way life's going to happen for me. Like things aren't going to just, you know, I'm not going to do anything about it, but I'll just deal with it when it comes. I don't want to think about it. Like just, it'll be whatever. We can also go the extreme opposite of that, which is I'm going to control everything. And I'm not going to let anything out of my power. And I'm not going to trust anybody with anything. And I'm not going to talk to anybody. And I'm just, I'm going to control my environment because if I can control it, then I can't get hurt. I won't get surprised. You know, so, I, so then you just become consumed with trying to control everything, right? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure we have a couple control freaks in here. (laughs) That if I can just keep everything spinning, if I can just make it all work, what happens when you don't have the hope and the heart to keep all those plates spinning? Because in reality, let me, I'll just speak for myself. I want to control things because I think I can handle it. Well, If you're like me, you will hit a moment where you're going to ask yourself, what am I going to do? Because I'm the one who's got all these plates spinning and I can't do it anymore. Because the hope of you being able to handle it and take care of things is gone. Another way that you could approach, another lens that you could look at life through is this, is that we can just let our five senses communicate to our brain 
what is happening, what we see, what we hear, what we can smell, what we can taste, all of these kinds of things. And we can just say, hey, I'm just going to let whatever I see come, whatever I, you know, it's kind of like the, the famous quote. Well, I read it on the internet. It has to be true, right? I mean, I hope you know that that's a joke. I mean, the fact that it's on the internet is questionable. I always like it when people are like, well, Wikipedia said, I'm like, you realize people go in there and write that stuff. Like it's not even verified really. And yet we're going to make decisions. You know, this is kind of a fun one, but you know, we get a cough and we want to go jump on the internet and figure out our symptoms. Do I have COVID or do I not? Is this this? Is it that? I mean, like all of these things and we're just looking for information. But the problem with that is we can get into information overload. And we can take in so, you know, your, your mind filters approximately 95% of information as useless. And your mind automatically does this. You don't even think about it. Let me give you an example of how this happens. If you go buy a car, you all of a sudden will start seeing them everywhere. Like, I didn't know so many people had this car. Why? Because your brain has now shifted and says, you need to recognize this car. You do it without even thinking about it. So now this certain vehicle has now fallen into the 5% of information that your brain says, hey, pay attention. But 95% of information that we process, I mean, we're being marketed to 24 hours a day, seven days a week at a way that has never been done. Why? Because we have technology at our fingertips. I mean, I have three devices within a foot of me that are connected to the internet. I mean, I just had a phone call on my watch. Like you remember like 007 back in the day, we're like, man, that would be cool to have a phone on my watch. Yet how many of you have a phone on your watch this morning? I have a phone in my pocket that's more powerful than computers that used to be the sizes of rooms. We don't even think about it. I've got an iPad right here. I've got a computer in my backpack. We have information and technology and we can build a whole life based off of information. We become very fact-based. It's a popular word right now in our culture is, you know, that it got fact-checked. Well, my question is, who's checking? And how do I trust what they're checking that's not skewed? Like, let me just give you an example. I mean, we're in church, but every time that we go even to the internet and search something about the Bible, do you realize that it could be skewed? That's why we actually need to read the Bible, not just read what other people say about the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is probably one of the most misquoted books ever. So it's important that we know scripture for ourselves. Another way that we could approach life or listen to life is through the lens of our fears and our anxiety. It's like everything's good until I'm anxious. And then it's like, oh, caution, caution, caution. Like, what am I going to do? And and fear talks. It's self-talk. But you also have to realize that the enemy, the devil, will come and what? He will whisper lies that, are, that, that create fear and anxiety. And the reality is, is that we are all at our worst when we're afraid. We will make irrational decisions when we're afraid. Like decisions we would never make, but because we're scared, we'll make those decisions. And, and so, but many people approach life this way. They live in anxiety. 
The number one most prescribed drug on the planet right now is antidepressant. Why? Because people are more afraid than they've ever been. Possibly because we have more information than we've ever had. But the Bible speaks of this and it says, hey, in the last days, men's hearts are what? They will fail them for fear. Why? So what you could say is that men's hearts will fail them because they have fear and they have no hope. And so hope is very important. And so the, the another way, and these aren't an exhaustive list, but I'm giving you a few. One, another way, and this is the way that I would encourage you to approach your life, is through the lens of God's word. Why? Because the lens of God's word doesn't bring fear. It brings peace and it brings joy and it brings wisdom and it brings life. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any sword. What? It can divide. And the Amplified Bible says it this way at the very end. It says that it can divide all the way down to the thoughts and the intents of your heart. So I like to think of it like this is the Bible can tell me why I do what I do. Not just what I do, why, the motivations behind it. And so I can live from this place. And so we have to choose how do we want to live our life? What pair of glasses do we want to look at the world through? And some people just choose to put their head in the sand. Just, uh, just leave me alone. No, we choose what leads us because the truth is we're being led. Now you can say, well, I lead myself. Not as much as we think. Not as much as we think. And we're constantly being led by things. I mean, the Bible says that this, it says in Romans 8, it says that those who are the sons and daughters of God, it's not a male or female, it's a, those who are called by, or what? Are led by the Holy Spirit. So the question is, is not are we being led? The question is, is by who? Now we can try to lead us, but the reality is, is there's influence I mean, we're influenced by people. We're influenced by our spouses. We're influenced by friends. We're influenced by information. So things are always leading us in an area. And so we can either, we can lead, we can be led by several things. And I'm going to say it this way, is that we can be led by what we perceive to be facts. Because how many of you know that sometimes even your feelings and emotions will lie to you? We think that something is fact when in reality it's actually not it's just our perception of what it is we can be led by our fears or we can be led by our faith that's really what it boils down to we can be led by a couple of things and so you know i mean have you ever had a moment where it seems like you don't know where your faith is because the fears are so loud and it's like i can't even think straight you ever had one of those moments like i just need a moment of quiet i just need to be able to get away so that i can hear now, what happens is that sometimes people hear faith and they think, you know, uh, you know, um, well, you know, those people don't actually live in reality because, you know, they're standing on God's word. Look, faith does not deny the existence of facts. This is important. I'll give you a very practical example of this. If you're sick in your body and I ask you, how are you feeling? Are you well? And you say, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that confession, but the reality is, is you have some symptoms in your body. And if you want somebody to agree with you in faith, you have to acknowledge the symptom. Doesn't mean the symptom has to stay. 
You know, that you can kind of get into some foolishness saying, well, I believe in God. Yeah, but what's your problem? Like, I'll give you, and I'm going to share a story with you here in a few minutes about this. But I, it's like saying, I believe in God to get out of debt. Well, how much do you owe? Well, I don't know. You're not actually in faith. You're in presumption, which falls into foolishness. Let me get back to my notes. Faith does not deny that a problem exists, but this is vitally important, is that faith denies it a place of influence. It says, look, I acknowledge that I've got some issues, I've got some problems, but by my faith, yes, it's there, but by faith, it cannot stay that way. It has to change. So I'm not denying that I have a problem, an issue, whatever it may be, but my faith can change that. And and so, but I will not allow my fears, my anxieties, whatever the case may be, I'm not going to give it a place of influence. I'm going to keep my heart in check and make sure that I'm listening to the right voices, not just my fears, not the anxieties, not the hopelessness. No, I'm going to see God work in my life. Why? Because I trust his word that he is faithful to it. You know, and there's times that, and, 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 and please hear me this morning when I'm talking about this, is that so many times hope is not about an external circumstance. If we look to external circumstances, facts, if you will, you will be very challenged in maintaining the hope of your heart. But what about when you're challenged in an area of your heart? Like I'll just get, again, I'm super practical. So maybe you've been dealing with anger. Maybe you've got area, other areas of your heart and you're like, man, when am I, am I going to get a hold of this area of my life? When am I going to, you know, we talk about victory in church and we hear about Jesus delivering us, but when am I going to stop being so ticked off? See, the Bible is actually very practical and very applicable to our life. And much of anger is actually rooted in fear. That's why, and even to that, but also even into control. But what happens when we get into these moments where we've got not just like, I mean, because it's easy to pray it, it's easy to say it, it's easy to declare it. But what about in our heart, like when hope is gone and you're at the end of your rope and there is no more like fight left in you. You're tired, right? I mean, I think we could all raise our hands and say, hey, I know what it's like, I mean, to fight. Some of you are still fighting insurance. You're like, dude, I'm over it. Over it, over it, over it. But what happens in that moment is that your, your, your hope is not in the right place. Because according to scripture, and let me give you an example of this from my own life. I mentioned this a moment ago. Some of you have heard me tell this story. A number of years ago, I don't know, it was probably 10 years, maybe 12 years ago. I just felt impressed with the Lord that I needed to get out of debt. That's what I felt like in my heart. You know, it wasn't like I had a word from God. I just felt like, hey, we need to start. So I went and because, you know, I made the joke like you're believing God to get out of debt. But do you know how much you owe? Because I didn't. And then I went and added up and I despaired. <laughs> I wish I could laugh, but it was true. And I, and, and I was, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a numbers guy. 
And so I, I know how to work things, and I'd worked myself into a really good position of a lot of despair and a whole lot of debt. You know, and, and so when reality hit me, it was, I mean, it really was like a place of despair. And so I was trying to figure out, because I'm, I'm a math guy. Uh, I'm a numbers guy, you know, I mean, all of these things that I'm trying to figure out. I'm like, I can't get myself out of this hole because I had, you know, gone from one credit card and, and I'm playing the game, right? The circuit, jumping one balance to another card. I'm like, man, if when the interest comes due on all these and I'm starting to have to pay full interest, I'm going to be bankrupt. That's no exaggeration. It's absolutely the truth. And so I, you know, I'm trying to figure out things, trying to research all this stuff. And, and, and I don't know how, I don't know if I saw it on the internet or TV or whatever, but I called one of those debt consolidation things because that was my key. Like that was the ace in the hole, right? And I called them. And so the guy looks up my stuff. He calls me, blah, blah, blah. He calls me back and he says, um, Mr. Riles, I don't know how you've done what you've done. He said, but there's nothing I can do to help you. <laughs> this, I mean, absolute fact. He, this was his exact words to me. I have no idea how you're paying so little on so much. And I'm like, dude, you're the expert. What do you mean you can't help me? And I had, and this is 100, I had a moment of extreme despair. Because I thought I'm done. It's over. Like, there's no hope. There's no way I have royally screwed myself. Just being honest. I just thought, man, there's no way. And then I had the bright idea. I should pray. (laughs) Just so you know, I was a pastor at the time. It's embarrassing to say, but it is true. And I thought, I've got no other option. Lord, can you help me? Can you throw me a bone? Like, can you do something to help me in this moment? But the truth was, is that to get to hope, I actually had to be honest with myself about where I was, what I had done. And so long story short is that over, you know, and I'll just tell you, I got a Dave Ramsey book. He sounded like a genius until I started doing, I'm like, dang it, this is hard. (laughs) This is no fun. It was a lot more fun getting into debt than getting out of debt. I can tell you that it's a whole lot more fun. That shop therapy was fun. Those trips were nice. Like... Until I had to pay for them. Then it was hard to remember the fun and I just remember the the stack of what I was looking at. If you've never been through some sort of um, what I would consider biblical financial teaching, I would encourage you to. Um, you know, I don't have time to get into it today, but I would encourage. But it took us three and a half years to get out of debt. And I did everything under the sun for extra money. I sold things. God brought me opportunities. Part of that story is when I was in college, I worked for UPS. And I had done everything that I knew to do. I mean, I delivered phone books. I did all kinds of stuff. So if you want my financial advice, work hard. Stop spending money. Make more money. Start paying some stuff off. That's the... But I'm going to be tired. But you'll be debt free. And then you don't have to be so tired. Or stressed. But I'll tell you this because it is part of the story and I need you to hear this. Because again, I'm a fixer by nature and man, and you know, and so what really what Dave Ramsey gave me, because that's just what I found. I had a book. My sister got it for Christmas. She's like, hey, will you read this with me? Because my husband won't read it and I just need somebody to hold me accountable. And I was like, sure, I need some help anyways. 
What Dave Ramsey gave me wasn't advice. He gave me hope. He gave me hope that it could change, that this was not going to be the definition of my life. But there came a point, probably about a year and a half to two years in, where we had kind of plateaued. You know, we had done the, all the steps and all these things, and, but it just seemed like we just couldn't pay off anymore. And so, light bulb moment, I'm like, I know what I'll do. I work at the church, but I can go work at UPS in the morning before church. I can make more money. I don't mind work. I enjoy work, right? I go to UPS, cause, but this is where I, I kicked into control. I go to UPS. I fill out my application. I worked here before, had a great recommendation, you know, all this stuff. I'm like, money in the bank. It's done. I'm going to do this for like six, eight, nine months. I'm going to go talk to my pastor, the whole thing. I'm telling you, I filled out the application. I turned around. I was walking to my truck. I, and I heard the door click behind. I mean, I, it's very vivid in my brain. The door clicked behind me and instantly, it was like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, you've crossed the line. And I knew what he meant, which was that I was not trusting him anymore. That I had taken control and I was going to fix this. And what I knew was that if I took the job, which they didn't even offer me, by the way, and never even called me. <laughs> I'm like, I've never had not had a call back in my life. No, but through, it took us three and a half years. But the reality was it took us more than three and a half years to get into that kind of debt. But I could see where God, time after time after time, but even through that, God would bring me an opportunity. I mean, literally, I, I mentioned the phone book. A phone book showed up on my doorstep and said, need extra cash? Yes, I do. <laughs> Let me call this number. I made about $1,000 in a month. Yeah, but I thought God was going to help you. God did. A phone book showed up on my doorstep. But faith is not, and that's why I say is that, that, that faith has, can't deny the problem. You've got to be honest with yourself. You know, that's probably the hardest person to be honest with, right? Is with ourselves. But any time that we are facing anything, the first thing that we need to do, if we're looking to try to overcome something, you say, well, my faith is going to do this. My faith is going to do this. My faith is, my faith, I can do these things. And there is an element of that, but your faith needs a vehicle to get in. And that vehicle is hope. And so regardless of what the challenge may be, if it's external, if it's internal, God has a way of working for you and in you to help you get out. But we have to, it's not just up to God. Yeah, but God's sovereign. He can do anything he wants. But God is also committed to his word. And he said, I give you the power of choice. We choose to serve God or we choose not to. It's totally up to us. God will not force us to do anything. And so, but there is wisdom from God's word that we can live in and walk in. And so I've already used these words a couple times. I want to define them for you. Hope is this. It's an anticipation. It means to expect with confidence. Another way of saying it is you look forward to it. Now, most of the time, if things are negative, we're not looking forward to them. We're trying to avoid them. Hope is the opposite. It's like, man, I want to move in this direction. Another definition that I came or that I found was this. It says someone or something on which our hopes are centered or focused. Well, that someone, according to scripture, is Jesus. There is no actual lasting hope 
outside of him. Because if we're not careful, our life will just become about moments that we live for in the future. Well, I'm going to go on this vacation. I'm going to experience this. I'm going to buy this. And what? We're just constantly living with hope in the future, but not actually living in today. God wants us to live in today. That's why the Bible actually says, hey, don't worry too much about tomorrow. It's got its own problems. Worry about today. Live in today. Be present in this moment. Well, we have to have hope. And many times it, it, it would be more, we live it this way, is that we live like with an escape theology of life, an approach to life. That I just don't want to deal with the facts. I don't want to be honest with myself. I just want to live in this place. And so I'm just going to not deal with things. And I'm just keep putting it off, keep putting it off, keep putting it off. Well, that leads to despair because eventually it all comes to a head. And we can fool ourselves that everything's going to be okay. And one day, one day, one day, one day. When is one day coming? Now, despair on the flip side of this is defined as this. It's utter loss of hope. It also means to lose all hope or confidence and i've already mentioned it a few times but anytime that we have fear in our life fear unchecked will always lead us to despair always well that's a complete loss of hope and and it's important that we understand these things we become overwhelmed by fears and, and and by anxiety because we put our hope in somewhere that it doesn't belong We put our hopes in our paycheck. We put our hopes in the economy. We put our hopes in our spouse to fulfill us. Well, guess what? They can't. God did not create our spouses to fulfill us. He created them to complement us. Very different. Only God can actually fulfill us. So even in that, if I just had a better marriage, life would be better. But are you asking Something of your marriage that God never intended it to fulfill in you. See, your hope is in the wrong place. You're looking to your family, your spouse, your, your job, your inner, whatever it may be, to fulfill you in a way that God says, that'll never work. You'll get it all and you'll find out that the big boat was nice, but it didn't fulfill you. The new house, it didn't fulfill you. And then you begin to despair. Why? Because what you thought was going to make a difference in your heart, you realize it doesn't make a difference. As a matter of fact, it makes the aloneness, the despair even worse. Because you put stock in something that could never actually give you hope. Say, well, man, I'm there today. I'm in despair. Like, what do I do? Like, yeah, okay, what do I do? Psalms 27 verse 13 says this, and it says that I am confident that I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. I am confident, I have hope that God is going to work on my behalf, that I'm going to what, work with him. The Amplified Bible, there's two, trans, two, there's a newer one and older one, I'm going to read both of them. This is the newer one, it says, I would have despaired had I not believed in the Lord's goodness. The classic version says that what would have become of me had I not believed. The King, New King James says, I would have lost heart had I not believed that I would see the goodness of God. 
Well, what is all of that speaking to? It's about looking to God as my hope, God as my deliverer, God as my provider, God as my fulfiller, that it's all about him. And really all that God wants to do comes through what? A relationship with Jesus. It all starts and stops with Jesus. Everything. I mean, if you go read scripture, he was at creation, Genesis 1. The Bible ends, Revelation 22, with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about our relationship with him. And he is the only one who can actually give us real lasting hope. Why? Because there has to be that connection, that that heart connection with God. And it's not just about coming to church. It's not just about, well, I'm a Christian. It's about having a relationship with God like I talked about a moment ago when the Holy Spirit told me, David, you've now crossed the line. And I needed to hear that in that moment because my hope had been misplaced. I began to trust myself and stop trusting the Lord to provide what I needed. And I had been trusting the Lord, but I had shifted. And I needed that correction that came from the Lord. And here's the thing. God supernaturally began to work after that moment. Because I just said, nope, I'm not picking up the reins. I'm not in charge. I'm not in control of this. God, you're going to help me. But it's not like somebody wrote me a check either. Just so we're clear. Nobody just called and said, hey, the Lord put it on my heart. How much debt do you have? (laughs) That didn't happen. But it was one opportunity, another opportunity, another opportunity, and God worked, and, and we moved forward. But what if I would have stayed in that place of despair? What if I would have just thrown in the towel and just say, let me go call a lawyer and let me file bankruptcy? Let me just, let me just call it quits on my marriage. Like, I'm, it's too far gone. I, I'm, I'm over it. I'm done. I mean, I'm in despair. Uh, you know, my kid's never going to turn to the Lord. That, that promotion, that, that this, this opportunity at my job is just never going to come. And we can just throw in the towel and just say, I quit. But here it says that I am confident that I would see the goodness of God. And so I want to give you a couple things here in the next few moments. Just some thoughts for you. about Because faith is very important, but faith without hope is just a dream. That's all it is. It's a pipe dream. It's like, well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. Yeah, but you got to attach some faith, some belief, some heart to what God has said. You can go to the word of God. You can see the promises of God. And you can say, that is mine. Well, now your faith has something to grab hold of. It's not just, well, it's going to work out. It's just going to happen. No, it's going to happen when your faith kicks in. The word faith actually means there has to be corresponding action. It's more than words. I can tell my kids that I love them, but they need me to show them. So hope without faith is just a pipe dream. How many of you know that pipe dreams don't come into reality? They're just a, something out there. See, hope in and of itself has no change in itself. There's nothing to actually create change. Faith needs hope. Hope needs faith. There's a cooperation that has to happen. Your faith alone isn't enough. You say, well, you know, well, I've got the faith to move a mountain. Yeah, but if you don't have a picture in your heart, your faith has nothing to actually activate on. 
So it requires this, this collaboration, if you will, of your hope, that desire, man, I'm believing God, I'm trusting God to work, and your faith, let me, and practically, how do I know if I have faith? What has God said about your situation? You cannot have faith apart from God's word. So what has God said about your situation, your circumstance, whatever it may be that you're facing, that's how you know you have faith, because I already have God's thought on it. And I want to live through the lens of God's word in my life. See, faith is the fuel of our hopes. So if you don't have hope, what you have is a gas can full of gas and you have no car to put it in. Well, how many of you know you can't ride a gas can anywhere? You need a car, but faith is the fuel that makes the car run, that makes the car go. So it's important that we understand. And and, and we can never reduce just faith and hope to like a formula. Many people do this and they say, well, you know, well, God did this for you. And and how did you do it? And when did this happen? And when did that happen? And, And it's just like, it's a formula. That's not the way God works. He works with us as individuals and uniquely for who we are. And so what is faith? Ultimately, faith is a decision. I am choosing what I look at. I'm choosing what I believe. I'm choosing what I'm going to grab hold of. And so it's a continual decision. It's a conscious, repeated decision. It's not a one-time decision that, oh, I'm going to trust God to heal me. Okay, but what does God's word say about? Because faith has to rise. Well, how does faith rise? The word of God. Faith comes by hearing reading, absorbing God's word, and faith will rise. Practically speaking, I had my budget form. I still have this form to this day. And the first thing on the sheet is scriptures. And before I paid a bill, my God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Not by my ability, not by my work ethic, not by my hustle. My God supplies all of my needs according to his resources. God delights in the prosperity of his servants. What was I doing? I was framing my world by God's word to change my natural circumstances. And I worked. There's a cooperation. Faith is not just saying the right things. It's doing them as well. So there has to be this cooperation. You can't separate it. So faith isn't a formula, but it's a decision that I make to what? What I'm going to focus on. What I'm going to keep my eyes on. So Hebrews chapter 11 is probably one of the most famously quoted verses on the topic. So it's hard to preach this without reading the scripture. It would just be wrong. So here, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now I realize that's not really clear for many of us. So I'm going to read it to you out of another translation. It says that faith comprehends as real fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. In other words, I'm already healed even though I have symptoms in my body. Doesn't mean that I'm not saying that, hey, I'm not sick. That's not what I'm saying. I have symptoms. What I'm saying is they're not permanent. God says something different. I'm broke. But God says he will provide. That's faith. But I have a picture of what it looks like. In my life and in my mind's eye of where God wants to take me. And so you have to have hope. Why? Because faith gives substance or reality to what I hope for. 
So hope is so important. See, this is what hope sounds like. If you're in that place of despair, if you're in that place of wanting to throw in the towel, you got to change the way you think. you got to change what you're declaring and speaking. And this is more than just confession. Genesis tells us that we were created in the image and the likeness of God. When, when you study that out, it actually says that we are a creative being. And when you, so you take all of that and it comes back and it says that God was what? A speaking spirit. How did God create the heavens and the earth? He spoke and things happened. So our words, I mean, there's no important voice in your life than your own. Why? Because you talk to you more than anybody else. So what you say does matter. And again, I'm not saying that we deny things, but we need to pay attention. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth talks. It's important that we pay attention to these things. So, but this is what hope sounds like. Is that I believe that number one, that God wants to fill in the blank. If you don't believe that God wants to help you, guess what? You won't have hope. You won't. So you have to understand that God wants to work for you. Number two is I believe that God can. Not just that he wants to. I mean, what good is it if he wants to? I mean, hey, I would love to write all of you a million dollar check today. Here's the problem. I don't have a million dollars to write to any of you. Oh, just because I want to, if I can't, what does it matter? It doesn't. As a matter of fact, it makes you even despair more. It's like a bad joke. But hope says, I believe that God wants to do fill in the blank. I believe that God can, and I believe that God will help me. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstances, is that God is going to cooperate, that I can cooperate with God to see everything in my life change. And look, and I understand that some of you are in great difficulty right now. And there's challenge and and not just the external stuff. Yes, you've got your house, but what about your heart? What about the inside of you? Well, what do I do when things are tough and when things are hard? Like, how do I keep moving forward? James chapter one gives us some wisdom here. I'm gonna read verses two through four. He says, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity. That seems a little different. When you're facing difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. Wait a second. You just said that I was in great difficulties and now you're saying I'm going to experience joy? Paul wrote about the Macedonians that the Bible says that even though they were dead broke, they had exceeding joy and generosity. That's a contradiction of terms. They're broken. They're happy. Now, I've had the opportunity to go into other nations and some of the poorest environments I've ever been, I've seen some of the most genuine smiles I've ever seen. They have nothing, but yet they're happy. We have everything and we're miserable. I think something's off. So here it says that even when we're facing nothing but difficulties, we have an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that we can. 
For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. Well, how do you endure? You've got to have a picture of something better. It's not going to happen any other way. It says, and then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. You know, that's what the word saved actually means. When we say, well, I'm saved by Jesus. That word actually means nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing lacking. It's a wholeness and a soundness, spirit, soul, and body. Those are the promises of God's word to us. So I have good news for you today. It doesn't matter what is sitting before you. It doesn't matter what's weighing on your mind in this very moment. You have a reason to hope. His name is Jesus. And the Bible says that he paid the ultimate price for every one of us. And so let me read you my last scripture for today. It's Romans chapter 8 verse 32. This is God's word to you. This is God's promise to you. I'm going to read this from the message. It says, if God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition, not waiting for us to change, but connecting it and grabbing hold of us right where we were, that God embraced our condition and exposed himself to the worst by sending Jesus. Is that God sent Jesus? Why? So, so it goes on and it says, "Is there anything else that He wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? We don't have need or reason to despair if our hope is in Jesus. Why? Because if we're alive, God is still working. God is still moving. And you're like, yeah, but I've been fighting for a long time. I understand." There are things that I've stood and fought for for years and years and years, but I've seen God be faithful to his word. And because I was able to hold on to my hope, I mean, that's what Ephesians says, having done everything to stand with all the fight in you, stand. Don't back up. Don't back away. No, God didn't what? He didn't hesitate one moment to send Jesus. And it says here, if he didn't even spare Jesus, is there anything off the table? No, is the answer. Absolutely not. Another translation, the New Living, says it this way. It says, if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is on your side, who can ever be against you? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us everything else? See, hope is so important. It's that that picture that what my reality is, is right now is not permanent. You know, this morning, morning, the the Lord dropped that in my heart. That phrase is that your circumstances right now is not permanent. And somebody needs to hear that today. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're facing... The weights that you carry, they are not permanent. But you have to be able to connect your hope to it, that it will not stay the same, that God will work for you, that God is going to work in your life. But you've got to be able to have a picture of that, of what that's going to look like. I mean, I can tell you story after story after story. I know what it's like to be depressed because I've lived there. 
And I know what it's like for God to free me because I've been there too. And I wish I could tell you that I've only ever been there one time and it's just not true. I know what it's like to despair, to have no hope, to have no way out and just feel like, man, this is just the way it's going to be. But God, when Jesus walks into the room, everything can change. And it doesn't mean it's a spectacular moment in front of everybody and everybody's like, man, they really had some problems. Some of the most powerful times that God has done things in my heart, nobody else knew about it until I told them later. Why? Because God doesn't need to make us a spectacle to do something powerful. No, God loves us. He's gracious. He's gentle. He's good. And his power, the Bible says, is made perfect in us. And it doesn't matter what's going on. This is not a life sentence for you. But you've got to get a picture in your heart of something different. Why? Because there is real hope. There is something really that we can change. So we have to, what, trust that God is committed to his word, number one, which the Bible says he will not lie. But God's committed to us too. He's committed to you. The Bible says he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. See, and we, we, we say these things, but there's real truth here. Is that God is still on the throne. I don't care what you read on the internet yesterday. God is still on the throne. Jesus still has the power to change every human heart. There is real power in the name of Jesus. God will work. And so today I want to pray over you as I'm wrapping up because I felt stirred in my heart as we were worshiping. I mean, I had some other things in my heart, but that phrase that your situation is not permanent really struck just a chord in my heart today. I believe that there's some in this room that that's, you're like, that's me. I'm there. Like that's how I feel about whatever your situation circumstance is. I'm going to give you a very short, very brief testimony. I lived depressed for years. That fast, I was delivered. Nobody prayed for me. Nobody talked to me. I was sitting in my chair. And when I walked out of the room, I felt like that like just 10,000 pounds had been lifted off of me. And I wasn't looking for it. I didn't pray for it. I didn't ask for it. But in a moment of time, that fast. The, pre- the weight of that was lifted. Well, it's not because of me. It was because I put my faith in Jesus, that he was a deliverer. And so I want to pray this morning because we all carry burdens. We have different weights. We have different things that weigh us all down, but we all are carrying things right now. But I would encourage you, turn to Jesus. Why? Because he's the one who gives us grace. He's the one that's provided the way for us. And the Bible says, man, how much more will God not give us everything that we need if he didn't spare Jesus? So I want to pray over you this morning and we'll conclude service today. But Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the life and the truth, the power of your word. Father, that you work in every heart today. 
that, Father, we bring all of our worries and our anxieties and our frustrations. And, Father, we lay them at your feet. Your word tells us to bring all of the cares and the weights and the anxieties, the, the pressures of this life. And, Father, that we can exchange it for your goodness and your ease in life. It doesn't mean that we don't face challenges, but we just face them differently than those who have no hope. But, Father, we declare today, Father, that you are working on our behalf. Father, I thank you right now for those who are here today. And Father, that they just feel like that this is a, the, the things that they're facing right now is a permanent situation. This is just the way, this is, it's, 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 it's here. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus right now it breaks. Whatever that lie is, whatever that, that area of their heart is that the enemy has gotten a foothold in, Father, I thank you that it cannot stay. Father, that we're made perfect in your power. It's not by us. It's not by anything that we do. But Father, I thank you that you're active and you're attentive to us because you promised us that in your word. Father, that we're not left to figure things out on our own. But Father, you have the power to save and to move and deliver and heal. So Father, I thank you that whatever lie has been accepted as true, Father, I thank you that it's broken in the name of Jesus. That there's freedom in this house. That there's freedom in hearts today. Father, I thank you that you expose the lie of the enemy that will see him for who he is. But Father, I thank you that when that lie gets exposed, that there is freedom, but there's life. Father, what you've done in me, you said that you don't respect or, or do something for one that you wouldn't do for others. So Father, I thank you that depression cannot stand. The power and the weight of that thing has to be broken in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that that weight is, is replaced by your presence right now.